Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at a passage that in the Old Testament that has to do with some of the themes that we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 5. And it's really a great accompaniment to the Beatitudes that we looked at and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be looking at Psalms chapter 1 this morning. Psalms chapter 1. So if you could open your Bibles there, that's where we'll be spending the majority of our time this morning. And as is clear as you open to the book of Psalms, this is the first chapter in the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms has been known as a hymn book for the ancient Jewish people. These would be songs that they would sing in worship. A portion of the Psalms are known as the Psalms, songs of ascent, that as the people would, would travel to Jerusalem to the temple and, and go up into the temple, they would sing some of these songs. And we're, we're going to be looking at what, what I think is one of the most important of the songs. It's no accident that it's placed where it is as the very first song. And if you, I don't know what the header of, of your chapter says, but in my Bible it says the way of the righteous and the wicked. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at really two paths, two different types of people. We're going to be looking at the blessed man or the righteous man and the wicked man or the one who is cursed. We're going to be looking at those who are blessed by God and those who are not. And so if you have your Bible open there, why don't we go ahead and stand? I know we just sat down, but hey, God gave us legs, so let's use them. Uh, Let's stand for the reading of his word this morning. Starting in verse 1, Psalms 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. These are the very words of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word Lord, I pray that it would be, as the psalmist said, a light to our feet, a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, that as we study your word today, God, that it would be transforming to our lives. Lord, speak to us through your Holy Spirit this morning. Challenge us, convict us, and may we be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So the very first word in the very first chapter of the very first verse of the book of Psalms is blessed. Blessed. Now the Hebrew word for this, I had to look this up, I don't know Hebrew, but is the word esher. And this has the idea of happiness 
or contentment or satisfaction. And so we're looking at the blessed man this morning. And this is someone who is in Christ. This is the converted soul. This is the righteous. The blessed man is someone who has been saved, who has been ransomed by God. Now, I don't think it's a stretch to say that everybody in the world wants to be happy, right? If, if you walked up to someone on the street and said, do you want to be happy? Well, maybe they would think you're kind of weird for just asking a stranger that. But truly, everybody would say that they want to be blessed, they want to be happy, but what people's definitions of that or what it would look like differs from person to person. Uh, the world has a very different definition of happiness or a blessed life than God's Word does. A few months ago, we looked at the Beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where we see that Jesus' definition of the blessed life of the believer is very different than what the world would call a blessed life. In fact, the way Jesus defines a blessed life looks different than what many preachers even would say is a blessed life. Many preachers want to tell you that the blessed life is your best life, and the blessed life is a life of um, material possessions and prosperity and wealth. But that's not what we see here in this passage today. And so we need to be careful when we come to a passage like this and we read, blessed is the man, and we see that it says in all that he does, he prospers, that we don't project our own um, worldly, idolatrous thinking into this and think, oh, Jesus wants me to be wealthy and rich and have a bunch of material possessions because it says here that all that he does is prosperous. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus wants us to be poor and miserable all of our lives. But God's word has a, a different definition and it paints a different portrait of what the blessed man looks like. And so we're going to see that in this passage today. And so I believe this passage is going to be very helpful for us today because not only does it lay out what the man does to be blessed, it, it shows us what that blessing looks like. So it gives us the, the blueprint for blessing, but then it also shows us what a blessed life looks like so we can look at our lives and, and see, are we living in this blessing that God has for his people? And so hopefully today you'll, you'll be able to say, yes, this, this is the blessing that I desire from God. And that we'll, we'll model our life after the example that's laid out in this psalm. And so it's very interesting in this psalm, it, it talks about the blessed man, but before it shows us what the blessed man does, and when I say man, I'm, I'm talking about men and women here, okay? But I'm just going to be saying blessed man a lot, but women, I'm not excluding you, okay? This is men and women who have been saved it's interesting, before it shows us what the blessed man does, it starts by showing us what the blessed man does not do. And the first thing it is, it shows us, is that he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, in our day, we are, um, everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to give you counsel. And it's a little bit different than even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, where if you wanted to get counsel from someone or to walk in the counsel of somebody, your, your access was very limited. You had a circle of friends and family that you could get counsel from, maybe your coworkers. Well, today, everybody has a platform that they can give counsel to the entire world. Now, whether or not anybody listens to you is another story, but we all have access right now, if we wanted to, to give counsel to where the entire world would be able to hear it and walk in it. And so we need to be very careful where we are receiving our counsel from. Because especially with social media and, um, you know, the news cycle, we're just being bombarded 24-7 with counseling, with people preaching to us, telling us what we should be watching, telling us what we should be wearing, what we should be listening to, how we should be thinking, how we shouldn't be thinking, who we should love, who we shouldn't love, who we should hate. If we don't accept a certain people, we're told that we're bigots, and we're receiving, we, we're receiving counsel 24-7. And so we need to be on guard that the counsel we are walking in is not of the wicked. And so I want to just be sure that we are aware of this. The, the blessed man, the righteous man, the man or woman of God does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, the world doesn't tell us to even think about this. They say, you know, receive counsel from whomever you want. If it makes you happy, follow it. Follow your heart. Follow whatever feels well. If if you're not hurting yourself or anybody else, that's good counsel. Just go for it. That is not the way of the righteous. That is the way of the wicked. We see in someone wants me to use the handheld mic, but I think I sound okay with what I'm using. Um, We see in Jeremiah 17 that the heart of man is desperately sick and wicked. And so to follow our own heart really would be to be following the counsel of the wicked. And We've seen, um, we've seen people's lives wrecked by walking in the counsel of the wicked. And we are to not follow suit. Uh, Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 15, it says this, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Whenever I, whenever I um, come to a passage about this saying to avoid the counsel of the wicked or not to walk in the ways of, of the ungodly, uh, there's a story that always comes to mind that I'd like to share. Um, and it's, it's a sports story. It's a tragic story, but if you don't like sports, don't tune out. I think it'll 
um, be beneficial for all of us. But in the summer of 1986, the Boston Celtics drafted with the number two pick in the NBA draft uh, a man by the name of Lynn Bias. And at the time, he was touted as the greatest college prospect to come out of the NCAA over the last decade. And that's saying something considering that two years prior, Michael Jordan came out of college. And there's many who played with Bias and against him who confirmed that he was just as good, if not better, than Michael Jordan. And the Celtics, through a trade they had made a couple seasons ago, had got into the position to take him with the number two pick. And the Celtics had just won the championship in 1986. And so they drafted Lynn Bias. They were set to continue their reign as the best team with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. And so if, according to the world, Lynn Bias had everything. He had the fame. He had the recognition. Uh, he was about to have the, the financial success, all the fortune of the world. But sadly, Lynn Bias was walking in the counsel of the wicked and two days after he was drafted, uh, he passed away with a cocaine overdose in his Maryland dorm room at the university where he was at. And people later came to find out that over the last year and a half, he had been using drugs off and on. And I know this is an extreme example, but we, we see this all the time. People surround themselves with wicked people who, who aren't looking out for their best. They have no eternal perspective. It's very a, a worldly perspective that's consume, consume, consume. And that path leads to destruction. And the sad reality of this passage is, like I was talking about earlier, today we, we have so much access to the counsel of the wicked. And so we really need to be careful of what we are taking in, what we are being influenced by. Are, are the people that we're even taking our um, you know, political influence from, or even our sports influence? You know, a lot of us maybe like to listen to talking heads, talking about sports and different things that's going on in the sports world. We need to be careful, even those people, we could think, well, sports is neutral, but everybody is serving somebody. And even listening to sports pundits that have no eternal perspective, they can slowly introduce ideas that if we're not on guard, we can start to buy into some of that ourselves and start walking in this wicked counsel. And so parents, I know we've got a lot of parents in here today, now more than ever, you need to be on guard of what kind of counsel your children are taking in. Um, many of our parents are, uh, we've given our kids access to countless counsel with their smartphones. And um, it's no accident that the rise in the, I'll just say the, the rainbow population has coincided with the rise in social media. Um, sadly, their platforms like TikTok and Instagram are being used 
by Satan to influence your children into pagan philosophy. And if you're not careful, if you're not prudent, you can be leading your children into that passively um, by not being aware of what they're looking at. And so I can't force you to delete apps off your kids' phones, but I would encourage you to really strongly consider what they are taking in, who they are taking it in from, and whether or not where, who they are getting counsel from is wicked or righteous, and that you would shepherd them in that direction of righteousness. And not just for parents as well, um, all of us. Can, can be so easily swayed by downloading an app that's popular that we see our friends talking about, and before you know it, we're just wasting so much time receiving counsel from people that have no eternal perspective whatsoever. So let's be on guard, because this is not the path of blessing. And so the psalmist goes on to say that not only does he walk in the way of wicked counsel, but he stands in the way of sinners and he sits in the seat of scoffers. Now notice we see a progression here. He's walking and then he stands still and then he is seated. Now I'll try to use an example here and hopefully it works. But when you go to Six Flags or you go to a theme park, and you want to ride a roller coaster. Well, you, you walk around, right? And you look at the different roller coasters and you decide which one you, you want to get on. But you're not very committed at that point, right? You haven't ridden a roller coaster. You're, you're walking, you see the roller coaster, but then once you decide the, the one you want to get on, you stand in line. Those of you who don't like roller coasters, your palms are already getting sweaty just thinking about this process. Um, but you stand in line to ride a roller coaster. It's, that's, you're a little bit more committed at that point. But how many of you have stood in line to ride a roller coaster and then you got out of line, right? You're, you're, you're not on the ride yet. I've done that a few times with my kids. I've tried to convince them that they would love to ride this roller coaster and we're standing in line and then they hear the kids screaming as they <laughs> launch and then we're walking out of the line. But then once you sit on the roller coaster and you are strapped into that ride, you are at the mercy of the ride. There is no getting off at that point. There is a progression there. And the same is true for sin. If we're not careful, we, maybe right now we're, we're not fully engrossed in sin, but we're dabbling with it here and there. We're, we're walking in the counsel of the wicked. We're telling a little lies here and there when it's necessary, necessary to cover ourselves. Or we're looking at a few things that are inappropriate every now and then. Before you know it, you will be strapped onto that ride and at the mercy of that sin on a path that leads to destruction. And so if that is you, I would say to repent, to turn from that wickedness, to lay that before the cross of Christ and allow Him to bring healing and power to overcome that sin. Amen. And so this is what the, wick, the, the blessed man, the righteous man, this is what he does not do. Now, verse 2 and 3, it shifts to what he does do. In verse 2, it says, 
the blessed man, he, his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, thankfully, Pastor Matt has done an amazing job over the last month showing us the need still for us today to be obedient to the law of God, to be submitted to the law of God. He's shown us Jesus' viewpoint on the law of God and that it's still applicable and important for us today, so I don't need to go into that. But if you were to poll Christians today and, and ask them, how many of you delight in the Torah? You delight in the Pentateuch. You meditate on the law of God. I, I don't think it would be a very high number. In fact, I think if you were to ask those who call themselves Christians today, how many of them have even read the first five books of the Bible, the, the numbers would surprise us. The blessed man is one who delights in the law of God. And not just the first five books, but the whole counsel of God's Word, the entire Word of God. We are to delight in it. We are to find joy in His Word. It is to sustain us. It is to be our, our bread that we look to daily to feed us. Now this is a work that only the Lord can do to, to birth in us this desire and this delight in God's Word. How many of y'all have um, sat at one point before your conversion, you've been in a church service where you wanted to be anywhere else but hearing the preaching of God's Word? And you were just counting down, hopefully that's not you today, but at one point, you were counting down the minutes until the pastor got off the stage because, oh, another verse, we got to hear another sermon I used to be there, honestly, and the sad thing, a lot of times, that was my dad that was on the stage, and I was just ready for him to say amen so we could go eat our Chinese food or enchiladas. But then we notice once we've been saved, once we've been converted, once God has birthed within us that desire for His Word, now when, when God's Word is opened, it is, it is sweet to our ears. We hunger to hear the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to know the Word of God. This is a work that only the Lord can do, is to give us this desire. And so, if you're in here today and you profess Christ, but you still just have a hard time studying Scripture or reading His Word or listening to a sermon, pray and ask that God would work in your heart and give you that desire for His Word and in Ezekiel 36, it tells us that God has taken our, our heart of stone and He has given us a heart of flesh. Amen. And then in Jeremiah 31, it, it tells us that um, God has written His law on our hearts. And so now we, we desire His Word. We, we are committed to obeying His law, His commands, and taking His Word and applying it to every sphere of our lives of, as children of the King, His statutes, His laws, His testimonies, we delight in them. But it goes beyond that. It says that the blessed man, the righteous man, the converted man not only delights in the Word of God, but he meditates on it day and night. 
Now, this is just another way of saying all day, every day, or 24-7, God's word is on the hearts and the thoughts of his people, or it should be. Psalms 119.72, the psalmist says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. See, the, the, the blessed man understands what true prosperity is. It's not material possessions. It's not amassing things. And it's not a life of consumption. There's nothing more precious and perfect in all of the world as God's word. David writes in Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, I love the Psalms, by the way, if you haven't noticed yet. But um, David says in Psalms 19, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they. More to be desired is the word of God, the commandments of God, the law of God, the precepts of God, the testimonies of God, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. My prayer is that we Christians, us members, us family of Destiny Church, that we would have this view of God's Word. That we would desire it more than gold, more than fine gold, that it would be on our thoughts daily, that it would be sweeter to us than honey, that we would treasure His Word. This was David's view of of the Scriptures, and he didn't even have the New Testament. He didn't even have the riches of Ephesians or Romans or the Gospels, the truths of John's Gospel. And today we have access to God's Word more than ever before. I went to Bible Gateway this week as I was was preparing, and, and I think there's 62 different translations that you can read the Bible in. We have so much access to God's Word. There's so many ways to have the Bible now. You can have it on your phone or your tablet, or you can get notifications on your watch of a verse of the day. But yet, I feel like Christians today are some of the most illiterate in history, some of the most unknowledgeable of God's Word in history. So I want, to, I want to challenge you. What are you doing with the access that you have to God's Word? Are you being faithful stewards of what God has so richly blessed us with? So many men throughout history have laid down their lives so that we can have the access to God's Word that we have today. Are we being faithful stewards of His Word? Are we studying His Word? Do we delight and meditate on His Word? This, this is the mark of a blessed man. It, it should be the mark of every Christian that we delight in his word. 
And so the blessed man, he's separated from the world. He doesn't walk with the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of the wicked. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. He's separated from the world. And he also delights and meditates on the word. And so now we'll see the result of this for the blessed man. Lastly, we see that the blessed man is fruitful. Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is the result of abstaining from the world and saturating your life with Scripture, that you will be fruitful in your life. Now, it's interesting here, this word planted. It doesn't say that he is like a tree that grows by streams of water. And it's a picture of our spiritual lives. At one point, we weren't fruitful trees. At one point, we weren't by streams of water. We were a tree that was dying in the desert that had no fruit. And God picked us up out of His mercy. He picked us up because of His love. He picked us up because of His grace. And He planted us by streams of water that now we can be fruitful. This is a picture of all of us who are in Christ. And this, this is what a blessed life looks like. A blessed life is a fruitful life. A blessed life is one that is beneficial to other people. You think about a fruit on a tree. It doesn't really benefit the tree all that much. It benefits those around him. In fact, if you leave the fruit on the tree, it doesn't do anybody any good. It'll rot and be good for nothing, but it's taking the fruit from the tree where you're benefited from it. And the same is true for us. A blessed life, a blessed man or woman of God is someone who is a blessing to others, someone who is fruitful to others, to those around them. An example of this fruit is found in Galatians 5. This is a very uh, popular verse that we're all familiar with, I'm sure, but it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. As you think of these fruits, when we are walking in this fruit in our lives, when we are showing these characteristics in our lives, it's a blessing to other people. When we have love, when we have patience, when we have self-control, it's not just a benefit to us, it's a benefit to those around us. And these are the fruits that are made possible because of God's Spirit living inside of us. This isn't something we can just conjure up on our own strength and say, I want to be, I want to have these fruits of the Spirit. No, it's a work that the Holy Spirit has to do within us. And as we do this, we are blessed and we'll be a blessing to others. Another thing that's important for us to notice is that it says the leaves of this tree, the leaves of the tree of a blessed man does not wither. Now what that says is no matter what season this tree sees, no matter intense heat or cold or rain or storm, it doesn't affect its fruitfulness. And this is how we should be in our lives. No matter what storm we face, no matter the highs of life or the lows of life, which we'll all experience every spectrum from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in our life, 
no matter what we face, that our leaves won't wither, that we will continue to be fruitful, that we will continue to be a blessing to others. This is the mark of a righteous man. And, and I've seen great examples of these men and women of God in my life that no matter what they face, it doesn't affect their fruitfulness, it doesn't rob their joy, because they are truly fruitful. They, they show that their leaves do not wither. And so I pray that this would be all of us. And then it says, and, and that all that he does, he prospers. Now verse 4, it, trans, it transitions to the wicked person. So we've looked at the, the way of the righteous. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the way of the wicked. So verse 4, it says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, unless you're a farmer or you were a farmer thousands of years ago, we can read this and not really have a clue what it's talking about. But what farmers would, would do when it was time for harvest is that they would, they would winnow the harvest. They would get a, a winnowing fork, which was similar to a pitchfork. And their threshing floor was usually um, high up on a hill, so there was a nice breeze that would take place. And they would get the grain in, in a winnowing fork, and then they would throw the grain in the air, and the wind would separate, it would blow the chaff away, and the heavier grain, the good, the good part of the harvest, would fall to the floor. And so where, where verse 3 tells us that the righteous man, he's stable, he, he's planted by streams of water, his roots go down deep in the Lord, his leaf doesn't wither, the wicked is the opposite. The wicked is tossed to and fro by every care of the world. The wicked blows wherever the wind takes it. The blessed man's life is full of value and purpose and fruit. The wicked will be cast aside. The blessed man is strong and rooted. Its leaves don't wither. The wicked man is frail and the wind drives it away. The blessed man bears fruit that can be enjoyed by others. The wicked man is like chaff that has no redeemable value whatsoever. And then verse 5 goes on to say that the wicked man will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There is a day of judgment coming for everybody. And the wicked, they, they will not be able to stand on that day. They will not be pardoned on that day. The righteous, however, will be. As we have been saved and set free by the blood of Christ, Christ's death and resurrection has atoned for our sins, and so on the day of judgment, we will be able to boldly stand before God because of the work of Christ that has been applied to our lives. But the wicked will not be as fortunate. They will not be able to stand in the judgment. They will be separated from the congregation of, a, of the righteous. There's going to come a day where the wicked will have no part of what the righteous inherit. And then verse 6, it goes on to say, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the wicked will perish. The word here used for knows is a very intimate word. It says that God has a deep, intimate relationship with those who are His children. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2 where it says that Adam knew Eve. It's the most deepest of relationships. It's it's the most intimate way that you can know something, something about someone. This is the relationship that God has with the blessed man, with those who are His. Jesus says in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me. Think about that. Jesus knows you in the same way that the Father knows Him. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and then Jesus says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus knows who are His. He doesn't just know about you. He truly knows you. And what's amazing is that God knows more about us than we even know about ourselves. He knows the amount of hairs on our head. He knows every single thought that we've ever thought in our entire life, which is very sobering to think about. And even in spite of all of that, He chose to sacrifice Himself because of His love and desire to truly know you. This is worth celebrating for those who are in Christ today. Amen? That we are known by God and that now through His Word that we can know God. And I know that's been the the mission of of Martin Fessler's life and ministry is that, uh, that the world would truly know God, know His characteristics, know His attributes, know His love. So if you're in Christ today, we can celebrate this. We can read and say, yes, this describes our lives. We are blessed. We can prosper. We can be fruitful. By the strength of the Lord, our our leaves won't wither. We'll be sturdy in the storm. But if you're not in Christ today, I pray that the last line of this psalm will ring loud in your ears where it says, the way of the wicked will perish. This first psalm, it, it doesn't pull any punches. It, it truthfully lays out the destiny of those who are not in Christ. They will perish. The, the unconverted soul, they are not intimately known by God like the blessed man is. And I pray that verses 4 through 6 don't describe any of us today. But if it does describe you today, hear me, there is hope for you. All of us who are in this room have been verse 4 before. We were, we were walking away from God. We were walking in the counsel of the wicked. We had no desire for His Word. We didn't delight in the Word of God. We surely didn't meditate on His Word, but God. God in His mercy and His grace, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. 
So if you're in here today and you identify more with the wicked than the righteous, there is hope for you. You're, you're not too far gone. You haven't sinned too much. In fact, you're, you're in the place where God wants you to be this morning, to hear this message. Because Scripture says those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And so I plead with you to do that, to place your faith in Christ, to place your faith in the one who laid down his perfect life. He lived a life that we couldn't live so that he could be a sacrifice for us, the perfect sacrifice, the true sacrifice, the true atoning sacrifice for our sin. On the cross, Jesus took our sin. He took our shame. And he placed it on his back. Not only did he take our sin, he took the punishment for our sin. He took the judgment for our sin so that we can stand in the judgment. And so I I plead with you, if, if you are not in Christ, if you are far from God, to repent of your sins, to look to Christ, to trust in Him for salvation, And Scripture says that you will be saved. You will be made righteous. You will be on the path of the righteous. And you will see this blessing that God has for you. You will live a life of eternal value. You will live a life that is fruitful for others. You will live a life that desires God's Word, that meditates on His Word. So I I ask you and challenge you today to turn to Christ. Amen? Amen. Now for those of us who are in Christ, we are the, the blessed man and woman. We have been made righteous. At this time, we're going to move into a time of communion where we observe the, the Lord's table. And this is a, a time for us who... We identify with this blessed man, but we also know that this is only possible because of the work that Jesus has done for us. So as we come to the table, this is our time to reflect on his death and resurrection and what it accomplished for us. That as he was on the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed, that he was making it possible for us to be intimately known by God and for us to know God and have a relationship with Him. And so let's go ahead and stand and I'm going to pray and the ushers are going to lead us and and show us um, where to go to to receive the elements. And as I'm praying, I want you to reflect on your life today. Have you possibly... Though you have been saved, you've been set free from sin, you, you found yourself walking in the counsel of the wicked. You found yourself being influenced by the things of this world, the people of this world, the voices of the world. Lay that before Christ today. Be obedient to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and cut those influences out of your life. The Holy Spirit can only go so far. It takes us being obedient to His Word and taking action. And then let's be reflective on our lives. Is there any other area in our lives that we aren't submitting to Christ? Let's lay that before 
his feet today before we partake of the elements this morning. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the book of Psalms and I thank you for this very first chapter that lays out so clearly before us the stark contrast of the righteous, blessed man and the wicked man. Lord, I pray that our lives would be fruitful. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't walk in the path of the wicked, that we would do what Proverbs says and turn from it, that we would repent, we would go in the opposite direction. Lord, I thank You that as I can testify and and many in here can, can testify and say, yes, they have been blessed by You. They've seen the work that You have done in their lives. Lord, for those who are not walking with You, God, I pray that You would convict them right now. But Lord, that You would also envelop them with Your love. Lord, as it says in the book of Hebrews, You went to the cross with joy because You saw Your people. So Lord, I pray that You would just envelop all of us in here today with Your love, that we would truly know the love of God. And Lord, that Your kindness would lead those to repentance. And God, I thank You that as we turn to You and put our faith in You and repent of our sins, You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and set us on the path to living a life that is blessed. And so, Lord, bless all of us in here today. Bless this time of communion and this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.